If uh, you would like a Bible to kind of follow along, uh, you can put your hand up and one of the, the ushers will grab one for you. Um, the verse that we're going to kind of camp in today, no surprises, is short because we're spending about a year, maybe three or four years going through Hebrews 11. So um, we'll see how long this takes us, but uh, today we're doing two verses. So I'm terribly sorry that you get an Italian man to sit here and talk about two verses for half an hour or an hour, depending on how it goes. So uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Brent. So uh, I'm Danny. Uh, I work at the church. I also work outside the church. And so some people would call me uh, somebody who's kind of in ministry, but my main paycheck comes from outside of ministry. And I get to come to Rev and do ministry like the rest of us who get our main paycheck outside of Rev, right? So we come to Rev to do ministry together. This is the way hopefully I can serve the body. Uh, so today, we're going to be in Hebrews eleven five to 6. You can kind of scroll there now. Um, as we do, I kind of want to lay out just a brief kind of roadmap for what's going to happen today. So <clears throat> the main thought is this. Uh, we are all pleasure seekers. No surprises. You've known this for years. You probably don't seek out pain very often. If you do, that's because you think it's pleasure. That's weird. So um, you will find yourself in a bad way if that's the case. Um, but I will tell you this, that if you are someone who right now looks at your own life, you will see how you seek out pleasure. How do you seek out pleasure? How do you get joy? How do you experience good? What is it in my life and your life that allows us to get that? And that's what we're pursuing. Um, we tend to invest time and resources to find and mine things out of life that will give us the greatest pleasure. And as we do that, for those of us who are Christians, we think through, well, where is pleasure in God? Do I find joy here? Is God a pleasurable thing for me? Is he, is he an enjoyable person for me? Now, I realize that there's a sentiment that's kind of dying, and that is that, you know, we just, we just ob- we, because of obligation, we just come to God, Right? That's dying in our culture. There's not as many people who are just coming to church out of pure obligation, right? That those of us who are coming to church now, typically, we come because we've seen God do something, or we've seen God in the world, or he's revealed himself to us, and so now we're going to participate in the life of the church. But I don't presume that it's entirely dead. And so as we look at this passage today, I want you to ask yourself first, and then last, Where do you find enjoyment? Where do you tend to invest your time and resources to mine from life enjoyment? Because where you find your resources, where you find your enjoyment, I can look at every single person in this room, including myself, and say that is where you will spend most of your effort. You will spend your effort seeking pleasure and seeking to find joy. Hebrews 11, five to six, says this, uh, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. But before, before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, when we look at somebody like Enoch, okay, 
we have to first understand that phrase by faith, right? That's the whole section of this Hebrews 11 thing. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. What's interesting is it's not cause and effect language. It's not because faith this, okay? Now that's important because I think we can get into this place where we think these actions are only stemming from, this is what the action of faith looks like. And so we look at this hall of faith and we say, I have to do the actions that Enoch did. I have to do the actions that this person did. But what it's actually saying is, by a mentality, a thought process, a lifestyle, a confidence, a trust, these actions happened. It's not saying that this is only what faith looks like. What it's saying is, things like this happen when you're living in faith, okay? It's a, it's a place to be. It is a dwelling spot to be in faith, okay? So by faith is not this, you take something, you have this faith in a bucket, and you take a little bit of faith, and you put it over here, and you get a good action. No, it's that your life is planted in a faithful place with God, and then you will see these actions happen. Now, the reason I say that is that we could be tempted to look at individual stories and desire maybe certain levels that we see, right? How many of you in this room would like to not experience death? Anybody? You guys are all lying to me, okay? <laughs> also, you may be your armpit stink, that's cool. But I'm telling you right now that none of us in this room wants to go through that. But it's a reality for us. As we look at the life of Enoch, I don't want you to look at just what happened to Enoch. I don't want you to think to yourself, oh man, if I can just be like Enoch, I can have what Enoch had. What I want you to know is this. By faith, faithful people do good work. Faithful people see miracles. Faithful people enjoy God. Faithful people will see God in the world by faith. So as we talk about this, Bren talked about something last week and we have to go here. Faith is not something that is just a good work in and of itself. Faith is this lifestyle, right, that God gives to us. Once we believe in Jesus, we start to see God everywhere. So faith is eyes, okay? It's a vision. It's a, it's a way of seeing things. Now, some of us think, possibly, that, that if we're given faith, right, how is it possible that we can look at the world any differently? Well, the truth is, is that the battle of two natures within us. Because I don't know about you, but my physical eyes are attracted to many things that are worthless to me. Why is that? We go back straight to the idea of pleasure. Why? Because my physical eyes see things that may give me pleasure immediately. But my spiritual eyes will see God who will give me joy in a place I could never receive it with my physical eyes. And that belief, that seedbed, is where we get to Enoch, okay? A few things about Enoch, all right? Enoch was definitely a well-known figure, but he doesn't have like this prominent a whole bunch of stuff written about him in the Old Testament. Part of the reason was, is we get most of what we know about Enoch from Genesis 5, okay? Now, Genesis 5 is an interesting passage because what it's doing is it's giving a genealogy from Adam to Noah, 
Okay? Genesis 6, God destroys the world. Okay? Genesis 4, Genesis 3, we see sin enter the world. Genesis 1, we see God create the world. Well, here's Enoch. He's the seventh person from Adam. Okay? So he's like the seventh generation. Although when I say generation, I'm not talking like 25, 50 years. Okay? Because these dudes lived a long time. All right? We're talking hundreds and hundreds of years. And so when we talk seventh generation from Adam, like Enoch's dad lived, I think, like 900 years or 800 years or something crazy, right? Can you imagine that? Talk about a hover parent. So you get an idea. <laughs> you get the idea that, that, that Enoch, Enoch is living in a time that is so new, right? You would think they just got out of the garden. Everything's got to be so perfect still, right? Like just... Don't touch that because that hasn't been touched yet in the world. But that's not, this, that's not Enoch's era. It says in Genesis 5, it walks through all these people. And one thing you notice is at the end of each section of person, and he died. And he died. And he died. And it keeps going. There is one person in all of the 10 people in Genesis 5 that doesn't die. Now, if you remember correctly, what is the consequence for sin, the sin of Adam and Eve? God says, you will surely die. Because he says you will surely die, Genesis 5, I believe, is the record of God keeping his word. Genesis 5 is the first example we get of God saying, I have to do this. Your sin means now that you guys will die. Now, what's interesting about that is you've got this little guy, Enoch. When I say little guy, he might have been huge. I don't know. But Enoch, he's got a short section in Scripture. We see this starting in Genesis 5.18. Okay, you don't have to flip there, probably because it'd be really hard probably to go to the first book of the Bible. That's sarcasm. Okay, so um, Genesis 5.18-24, I'll just read it to you. When Jared, this is Enoch's dad, had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. This is not like soft language, okay? God's not saying like Enoch was taken away, he was no more. He passed from this life to the next. God's not changing the language of Genesis 5 and, and, and making it seem like Enoch died still. He didn't die. This literally says, this is the funny part. In the Hebrew, this would be, nobody could find his body. We don't know where Enoch went. Where did Enoch go? All of a sudden, Enoch's gone. At the time that Enoch is living, he just disappears. People don't know where he went. This is a time when there weren't really enough people for that to happen. So when we look at this and we think Enoch is no more, 
It's the same as going, where did he go? Where did he go? Well, this is the beauty of Enoch. Enoch submits to God in an era that is fully evil. It did not take long for humanity to really get totally corrupt, okay? Now, this is crazy, and I know most of us know the story of the flood, right? God literally saves eight people from the earth in the time of the flood, but before that, this is what God saw. This is Enoch's time and era being spoken about in Genesis 6, 5 to 7. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. God does not exaggerate things. When he says it was only evil all the time, it was probably only evil all the time. So when he says that, you've got to understand the inclinations of the heart of mankind in the time of Enoch was evil. For Enoch to walk faithfully with God in a time when everyone is inclined to evil and do that for 300 years. Now you see why Enoch is remarkable in Genesis 5 and Hebrews 11. Because Enoch did something that only, only his great, 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 great grandfather Adam had done, and he walked with God. Enoch lived a heavenly life on earth. So God decided to simply just take him to heaven. Enoch took a walk one day and stepped into a realm that he had never seen before because his time was evil. This is Enoch. But more importantly, to the Jews of this time in the book of Hebrews that are having this letter written to them, this hall of faith in Hebrews 11, Enoch was such a prominent figure. Now, most of what we know about Enoch, okay, is very limited to this passage and then a short one in Jude about Enoch's message because we know he was a prophet, right? Anybody who is faithful to God will love other people. Anyone who loves other people and sees that there's impending danger in them, they will tell them. So Enoch has a message in Jude. And it says this, this is Jude 14 and 15. Now Jude is about false teachers, okay? Jude is extremely, I think, very, very like direct language towards false teachers, okay? And this is what Enoch says way back in his day, according to Jude. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. That's false teachers. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken about him. If this was Enoch's message, number one, he was very repetitive. Number two, he was very direct. An interesting thing to see from the life of Enoch in this and understanding how the Jews in receiving Hebrews 11 would have seen Enoch is this. Enoch was the type of person who stood in the midst of everyone else sacrificing true belief of God on the altar of being popular in their culture. Enoch stood and said, no, I will believe what God says even when everyone around me doesn't. Now, we live in a time 
where some people believe that what you have to do is you've got to rethink all of these things about God all the time. You've got to rethink what is true and orthodox. And I'm not saying don't think. I'm saying ask yourself, what is the motivation of rethinking what you know to be true? Is the motivation of rethinking what you know to be true to be more popular with the people around you? Or are you the person who will take enough pleasure in being with God that you will not sacrifice walking with God on the altar of being liked by people? Hear that. Because I will tell you right now, there is something deeply embedded in many of us that we fear the opinions of people. And you might be a person who's like, nah, that's not me. You do. Somewhere in your life, you do. Most people, if I were to sit back and give you examples of what it looks like to fear people and fear their opinions, we're gonna find lots and lots of examples in our own lives. Because people in our world tend to be bigger than God is. And the opinions of those around us make God for us at times smaller and smaller, less and less significant but not to Enoch. Not to faithful people. Faithful people do not allow an unpopular belief in their culture to make them waver on what they know to be true. At some point, the truth, the truth itself is offensive to others. You can't look at someone today and tell them that they have a need without offending them in some form. You will always come to a point. If you would like to share what is true with the rest of the world, you will always come to a point that they will be offended. And they should be. Because you were offended once too. If you remember a time when you didn't know Jesus, someone coming to you and telling you that you had a need of something and that it was this God that you can't see physically, you would have been offended that they looked at you and, and had some sort of opinion about you other than an acceptance that you believe was real. See, here's the problem is that, is that our culture believes that acceptance is this unequivocal, I accept everything about you, and if I don't accept everything about you, I don't accept you at all. But it has nothing to do with accepting things about people. It has nothing to do with that. The truth is, is that we have things that are very shallow that we don't accept people on. You go over to your friend's house and judge the fact that their house is filthy. They'd be offended by that. You know that. Some of you guys don't nod your heads because you, you're convicted right now. Some of you guys, you, we think this all the time. It's so funny because it's so hypocritical that we will say, no, unequivocal acceptance of all people, but they need to figure something out over here with that. I don't know what's going on in their backyard, but it's, they're, they're growing a new Garden of Eden. It's so hypocritical, but we don't see it. We don't see it because we're in it, right? We're the frog in the fry pot. We're the frog that's being boiled slowly into this thing of believing a culture. You guys, if we are going to live faithfully in our time, we need to get our heads, our heads out of a cultural way of thinking and get our heads into a biblical way of thinking. I will tell you that you can love people and be kind and, and gracious with them, but at some point, like Enoch, if you live in an era where evil people also live, 
there will come a time to step up to the plate and say what needs to be said. People who find pleasure in God will say what needs to be said. It doesn't mean you're not humble. It doesn't mean you're not loving. You don't say what needs to be said at the sacrifice of all the other things that God teaches you about how to love people. But at some point, you have to be bold. Being here today, right now, in this church, will eventually be a mark of unpopularity for you. With someone. The question is, will you be willing to stand in an era where people think you're not as cool? Where people look at you and judge you? Where they believe that because of your lack of unequivocal acceptance, they don't accept you? That is coming if it's not here already. Embrace the reality. We are not citizens of earth. We are citizens of heaven. Enoch walked with God for 300 years. And because of that, moving from earth to heaven was not a leap for him. It was a step. That is what I want to be. I want to be the kind of person that has their mind stuck in heaven. The interesting thing about that taken idea is that it actually means translated, okay? Enoch's, Enoch was transformed into something new when he was moved into heaven. This is a picture, and I believe that Genesis 5 and Hebrews 11, I think, I think those are pointing to God's plan of salvation, and that is that even in an evil time, he will walk with people. He will walk with us. He will be with us. Now we know through his son. And that he will bring some of us to conquer death through his son. That Enoch walking from earth to heaven, do you know that, that, that eternal life in Genesis 5 was kind of not a thought process? They weren't thinking about heaven often. They were thinking about earth. Enoch went to a place that no one else had known before. Not like this. And why? Because Enoch found pleasure in walking with God. Enoch found that in a world that was constantly throwing at him all forms of pleasure, Enoch found that he could literally rise above the mess and he could find a pleasure that's so far beyond that that no matter what the circumstances were, he experienced joy. Now this is us too. We are in a place where we can rise above the mess, even the mess you've made. Because of forgiveness, because of redemption, because of imputed righteousness, like Brent talked about a couple weeks ago, you see how God has given us a way to rise above the mess in the world and to take pleasure in him. This is Jesus in John 15. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. God wants to walk with us so that his joy is in us and we get to have joy that's complete. The great idea here today is this. Do you believe that God 
is the place where you will find the most joy in life? Or do you believe that you will find joy somewhere else? And your actions will speak on this. Do you believe that God is the greatest joy that you can have in the world? Or do you believe you can find joy somewhere else? Because if you believe that you can find joy in God and God alone, you will mine in the scriptures. You will look for him in life. You will spend time with him. You will eventually walk with him. But if you do not believe that God will bring you joy, you can for a time do acts of obedience because maybe you fear God. But you will have a time where you will not walk with God. He will constantly be someone for you that bounces in and out of your life. You will submit to him in certain seasons when you feel bad. And then you will go back to doing what it is that you find pleasure in. I'm just being honest with you. It goes for me too. What you find pleasure in is where you will spend your time and resources. I love that it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because the inverse is true. It is possible for us to please God. Here's why that's important, okay? In their time, to the Hebrews, they're hearing this, and in an era where there really weren't very many atheists, right? People didn't try to act like they didn't believe in God. What they did was they tried to act like God wouldn't punish them. So they did just enough, they thought, to keep God from punishing them, but they weren't going to fully submit to him, okay? In this era, there's not many atheists. In our time, People say this all the time. Yeah, I just don't believe that God exists. Okay? Okay. Pe- those people don't care about pleasing God, right? Because they don't think he's there. But in their time, pleasing God was of utmost importance because gods were how you got what you wanted in earth, in the earth. That's how you would please a God so he wouldn't punish you, smite you, so that he would give you gifts and make you wealthy. Okay, that's how you did that back in those days. Some of us still do that. All right? Some of you in here are afraid of God in a way that you're afraid of his punishment, but you won't fully submit your life to him because you don't know if you'll find pleasure in him. You don't know if he'll make you happy. You don't know if you'll find joy there. I'm telling you right now, if you're somebody who is afraid of God and thus you go to church or you try to learn about God or you read the scriptures, but you don't find pleasure in him, you're missing out. He is the most pleasurable source in the entire world. He is pleased with people who come to him in confidence and trust. And in so being pleased himself, according to this, faith in Christ ushers us into a new standing with God, at which point we get every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. God is not just to be feared, and thus he is to kind of be be patronized. God is to be embraced and walked with. And you find joy in him. And he becomes a source for you of life and joy and pleasure. But if you just simply fear him, you will do what you think is just enough to keep him pacified. That is not walking with God. That is walking by yourself, trying to make sure that this God that you kind of believe in doesn't hurt you. He doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to give you everything you've ever 
thought could be desired. He wants to give you everything. He doesn't want to hurt you. If your confidence is in that, that's where you get things like this. Anyone who seeks him must believe that he is and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Here's the question. If you fear him and you don't love him, so you're not finding pleasure in him, then you believe he is. You believe he's big, you believe he's powerful, you believe he's just, you believe he's wrathful. But if you do not believe that he rewards those who seek him, meaning this, anybody who comes to him, he is there. He is right there. So today, where do you find your pleasure? Where are you spending your time and your resources? Because where you find your pleasure will show what, you're, what you really believe in. It will show you what you really, where you've put your confidence. Enoch eventually saw God in everything. So much so, and, and we know this, right? I don't know about you, but I know this. Faith begets faith. When you believe in Christ, you start to see him everywhere. And it only grows, and it only builds When you don't, when you're struggling with confidence in God, if you don't believe that he loves you, you will most likely find a circumstance in your life that you think proves that. If you don't believe that God wants good for you, you will most likely find a circumstance in your life to prove that he doesn't want good for you. Or so you think. But this is why we hold to the promises of God. That like Enoch, in an era that says all kinds of different things about what to believe, we cling to God. We cling to him. Because in him is the source for pleasure that we've always wanted but never knew it. Let us pray for more faith this week. And remember that your actions will show you what you think will bring you a great reward. Is God a source of joy and a reward for you? If so, you will seek him. If you're struggling to believe that about him, follow through on learning and understanding what the promises of God for you are. Where Jesus looks at you and says, I I wanna give you my joy. And I want to make your joy complete. So follow me. Walk with me. Be with me. Because God takes pleasure in giving us pleasure that is from him. God loves to make us joyful. I want to pray this over us this week and then I'm going to wrap up. Uh, So pray with me for a moment. Gracious Father, You are the prize of life. We recognize that there is no true reward in this world like the gift of your presence eternally in heaven and eternally starting now. I pray that we as a people would have spiritual eyes that through faith we would see you everywhere. Thank you for your kindness toward us. Father, I pray that we would begin to seek you fully to mine 
reward and to be with you, to walk with you. Lord, we love you and we need you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, As the band comes up, um, as you think about this idea of joy and reward and pleasure and you look at people like Enoch and you try to understand and wrestle with faith, um, take a minute if you need to right now, just by yourself. Examine, look at your own life. Where are you finding pleasure in your life and where could you look at God and say, God, okay, if you're supposed to bring me joy, if you're supposed to be the one that I find pleasure in, how can I find that? Because I believe in you enough to come to you right now and seek you for pleasure. I believe in you enough right now to come to you and seek you for joy. And if you believe that and you walk in that, you will. This is the beauty of believing that he is and believing that he rewards those who seek him. You will find that joy because he is the giver. He has never once since Jesus rejected someone who came to him. He has never once rejected someone who came to him since Jesus. That those of us who seek him will be rewarded. So look at your life. Is there a deep-seated sense of joy? Is there an understanding that God is the one whom I need to seek for this? Because you will stand out like none other in the world if you find pleasure in God and not seeking it in other things. Thank you, Jesus, for today. We trust you, God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.